This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. You're listening to NCD Chronicles, a series where we go beyond a disease diagnosis to look at the lived experiences and real challenges faced by people who have non-communicable diseases. The heart is one of the most vital organs in our body. It works day and night from the moment we are born to pump blood throughout our body. But for a small number of individuals, their hearts don't work like they should because the structure of the heart is abnormal. These individuals are diagnosed with congenital heart disease or also known as congenital heart defects. Okay, basically we know nothing about congenital heart disease at all. We, we do not even know what is a complete AVSD. We did Googling and then the doctor explained to us we have to read and we read uh, what is complete AVSD and how to fix it. So it really shocked us. It really shocked us because uh, even um, some of my uh, friends, they told us not to worry because they say, oh, some holes will close by itself. Uh, But that's not the case for Tadius. And also doctors uh, also share with us that, in fact, some babies are not fit for surgery at all. So we don't even know if uh, my son is fit for surgery or not. So if Tadius is not fit for surgery, then there is no way out. So doctors have no sure answers for us at a time. And uh, yeah, we have no choice but just to wait. No? So we were so anxious, you know. And uh, yeah, it was very terrifying at that time. On this episode of NCD Chronicles, you'll be hearing from Jennifer Lim, a 42-year-old stay-at-home mom. Her son, Thaddeus Shi, was diagnosed with congenital heart disease, or more specifically, with a complete atrioventricular septal defect. Unlike most other babies who would only stay in the hospital for a day or two, Thaddeus spent the first few months of his life in a hospital because of how severe his condition was. First two months in uh, what they call a special care nursery, and then the third month, he was admitted to ICU because uh, he could not wait any longer. His heart has overworked and then he collapsed uh, one day uh, in front of me. So I was, yeah, again, that was another, it was really, <laughs> that event really was etched in my mind because uh, when he collapsed, I didn't know that he collapsed. So, yeah. So just thankful that um, there was a doctor and there was a nurse um, with me at that time. And uh, we just, I, I really thought that uh, he, he was okay because at that time um, he had fever. After I gave him the medication he and changed his diaper, he went um, still and quiet. So I was like, wow. I even uh, chatted with the doctor. I said, oh, doctor, wow, the medication is so effective. He he just went to sleep just like that. And he was on the uh, CPAP, the oxygen mask. So I, I couldn't really tell. But the doctor suspected something was wrong. So uh, yeah, immediately they went and resuscitated him. And then they say mm, he has to be intubated to be on ventilator and has to be admitted into ICU. So that's the best that they can do that time. Thaddeus is Jennifer's first child. For her and her husband, the arrival of their son was a moment that they and their family had excitedly been waiting for. 
In fact, Jennifer even planned for Thaddeus to be born in Bintulu, Sarawak, so that they would have the support of her husband's family after the birth. Still remember our little family were wound up in the Bintulu Hospital at Sarawak. So it was a very terrifying season uh, for us at that time. So as my husband is from Sarawak, we had planned to deliver our baby back in Sarawak mm-hmm. as uh, we needed some support from um, his parents after our child is born. So on top of that, at the time, it was holiday season and we thought of celebrating Chinese New Year, you know, uh, Christmas, Chinese New Year together with his family after the birth of our son and return to KL after that. But then we uh, we didn't know he had such a health complication and we didn't know it was that critical. So he was uh, born in a private hospital in Bintulu on uh, 5th of December 2022. So as soon as he was delivered, the doctor uh, informed my husband that uh, the baby's oxygen level doesn't seem normal and he was uh, turning blue. So he needed to be transferred to the government hospital immediately right after his birth because uh, over there they have better facilities to support his breathing. So when he was uh, transported to the government hospital, he was immediately put on oxygen support. Mm -hmm. And then... um, we learned that uh, from the doctors that there was a huge hole in the center of his heart. And uh, the medical term is called uh, complete AVSD. So, however, for a full proper diagnosis, right, uh, what we are supposed to do next, how, when or where to fix his heart, we need to wait for a pediatric cardiologist to come over from Kuching to Bintulu in the following month. So, yeah, that was a very uh, stressful month uh, for us. Congenital heart disease are actually structural abnormalities that is present at birth. See? So, congenital means it's coming up from, from birth, right? In the heart and also the blood vessels that are related to the heart, right? The incidence in Malaysia ranges around 6 to 12 for every 1,000 births, yeah? Which is o- almost similar to other countries, yeah? And the type of congenital heart disease varies you know, from a mild one to a severe one to the one that is the baby turns blue in color to the one that they look just like normal. You see? So these are the types of presentation of congenital heart disease. Yeah? But AVSD, okay, it's atrial ventricular septal defect. So generally, it's a, it's a type of congenital heart disease where there's involvement of a large hole in the center of the heart yeah? that involves the, both the ventricle and the atrial lesions. Yeah? And in this situation, most of the hole is quite big in nature and it can cause at times mixing of the deoxygenated and oxygenated blood. Two is that it also involves the heart to work harder and therefore the child can go into what we call heart failure. And at times, it can also cause the valve to be abnormal. Yeah? So these are, uh, and it causes worsening of the heart failure. It's a quite severe form of a congenital heart disease. Usually, it's related to a syndrome meaning that you do see it more common in children with uh, Down syndrome. Yeah? And in most situations, we need to intervene early because if we allow this uh, lesion to just progress further, mm-hmm. it may cause um, problems with the heart, the child will go into more heart failure, problems with the public pressures to go up higher. Yeah, so it's one of those that you need to intervene early. Yeah? That was consultant paediatrician Dr. Azam Mohamed Noor. Some children may never need intervention because their heart defect is a mild one, while others, like Thaddeus, would require surgery to save their lives. 
the treatment of congenital heart disease varies. Isn't? I mean, there are times that you don't need to do anything. You can just observe. And in some cases, there's a mild form, like a small VSD or small PDA, peter-ductus arthrosis. It will just get better on its own. Yeah? So it can actually rectify on its own. It can actually recover on its own. That can happen. And this happened in around 20% of the population. Yeah? There are times that we need medications. And this medication can actually improve the heart function uh, while waiting for a more specific treatment to be done. Yeah? Okay. The other intervention that we do in children with congenital heart disease, there are two types of intervention. One is called cardiac catheterization. Now, this in, in cardiology, we tend to err towards this cardiac catheterization because it's a, it's a very non-invasive ways of treating. Yeah? Last time, for example, if there's a hole, we need to do an open heart surgery to actually close the hole. But nowadays, we can use intervention and we put a small little device in and we can actually occlude this hole. Yeah? So that can happen also in the, in the areas of patent ductus arthrosis or it was up to defect. This is what a characterization is. At times, the, it depends on the lesion or the problem that the child has. Sometimes it could be a narrowing of the valve and by cardiac intervention, we can actually open up the valve and we can have normal outcome. In a more serious situation or in a situation where it's a bit more uh, difficult, that's where the surgical repair comes in. And it's often being done in a very complex form of congenital heart disease, which involves, again, like closing the hole, reconstructing the heart structures, repairing the valves, or even to the extent that it can be a redirecting of flows. Sometimes congenital heart disease can be like a plumbing problem. It's like abnormal plumbing, you know, abnormal blood vessels and we need to redirect these blood vessels appropriately. So these interventions, I mean, like I said, depending on the situation or the illness of the child has, then uh, we will decide on uh, the kind of intervention that we are looking Congenital heart disease is the most common type of birth defect, and most cases are diagnosed either during pregnancy or at birth, after which doctors are able to quickly determine what kind of intervention the baby needs. But in Thaddeus' case, because of the lack of specialists in Bintulu, or really across the whole of East Malaysia, it meant an agonising wait for his parents just to get answers. We totally have no idea what's uh, going to happen next. And nobody can uh, tell us because uh, basically this is really like the first case in my family. Even my parents, my mother, my brother and sister, they we can't do anything. We just have to wait for the professionals to advise us on what to do. After a very long wait and organizing wait for around two months, the uh, pediatric cardiologist finally arrived in Bintulu. And then he explained his case, Thaddeus case uh, to us. And we were relieved to hear that he's able to go ahead for the surgery. But uh, because his head is uh, quite major and complicated, he could not uh, refer him to just any other surgeon, you know. Uh, only a handful of pediatric cardiologists, uh, surgeon in Malaysia are capable to correct his heart condition. So uh, two of them are from IGN and another surgeon at a private hospital. So if he were to be operated in IGN, the surgeons require him to wait at least uh, 4 kg and has to be clear from all lung infections. As this is a major open heart surgery, right? Even a little bit of virus will pose great dangers to him. Thus, uh, he's being put on waiting list in IGN. And uh, of course, there is a long waiting list in IGN. Yeah, so at that time, 
uh, we just decided to wait because he was about uh, 3.6 kg. And of course, financial play a big part. It will be a really big burden to us if he were to be admitted to a private hospital, which can cost up to you know, a few hundred thousand. Those were long and dark days for Jennifer, who had to shoulder the burden of caring for Thaddeus alone. It was uh, extremely challenging and even more challenging uh, for, for myself because uh, my husband has to return to KL to work. So I'm there alone in Sarawak. Of course, my in-laws are there to uh, help me. But uh, because um, in the special care nursery, right, they don't allow anyone else to enter uh, except the mother, you know. So it was very tough. Everything just falls on me. So yeah, not even my parents-in-law, my uh, husband could not even visit or take a look at Tedious at all at that time. It felt like everything just crushed upon you at that time. After the break, did Thaddeus eventually get the surgery he needed? We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. What I struggle with the most is I just feel quite frustrated at the time because uh, we have to wait for an answer, we have to wait for months for an answer from the pediatric. So uh, I feel like precious times are wasted unnecessarily, you know, especially when, you know, the condition is so critical. So I really feel like waiting in the dark and then losing out precious time to save a life. What if he cannot wait anymore? Um, what to do next. We don't even know what to do next. What's next for him and what's next for us. Yeah, emotionally, mentally and psychologically at that time and physically also because I have to recover from my C-section, right? So, and I have to be at the hospital looking after him 24 hours a day and then, um, you know, giving him medication, seeing him struggle like that, really feel helpless. And uh, I really feel like, wow, there is nothing at all that I can do. Welcome back to Health and Living. You're tuned into an episode of NCD Chronicles with me, Lim Su An. In this episode, you're hearing from Jennifer Lim, sharing the journey that she and her little family went through when her first child, Thaddeus, was diagnosed with a complete atrioventricular septal defect, a type of congenital heart disease, right after his birth. After waiting two months for Thaddeus's diagnosis to be confirmed, there was another round of waiting to know when he would be scheduled for surgery. He was uh, three months old uh, when he got the appointment for his open heart surgery. So we have to transfer him, of course, by flight. So mm. there was a doctor and a nurse who accompanied us along the way mm. because he was already intubated, right? So they had to bring all these uh, machines and all onto the flight. And then um, when we reached KLIA, there was already an ambulance waiting for us at the airport and uh, sent us straight to the private hospital. Yeah, so he was admitted straight away into ICU. And then two days later, he had his uh, open heart surgery. We didn't uh, expect the medical fee would be so high. We learned that the ICU charges is around 5000 to 10000 per night. 
as tedious was water, we really got more and more stressful looking at the medical bills uh, increase over time. But uh, before that, we wanted to uh, admit him to IGN, right? But because uh, he could not wait any longer, he collapsed. So uh, we quickly decided to send him to the private hospital because uh, that's the only chance uh, that he, he's able to survive. I also did some, uh, just some very uh, small research on Google that the, the longer time that he spent his time in ICU, right, it, he's only going to get worse and not get better. So I told my husband that we are actually, um, you know, racing against time. We have no choice. The financial part, it was terrible, you know, for us. We, we could not afford it. We do not know how much it will go. But then... Um, one, uh, one of my friends, uh, she advised me, she said, why don't you just, you know, ask around uh, for some um, financial help from your family and friends and see how much they can chip in. And then uh, at least you don't have to burden yourself so much. So I was thinking and thinking and then I was like, okay, I, I discussed with my husband. I said, okay, uh, you know, shall we proceed since uh, there is no way we can cover the medical cost by ourselves? So we just sent out a text to my friends and uh, family. And then, yeah, the response we got was uh, very overwhelming. They really showered us with love and care and they really show sincerity. And the funds just came in uh, one by one. We were very touched. And then on that night itself, uh, I still remember very clearly uh, around 10 p.m., uh, one of my friends called me. Uh, she told me that, you know, uh, there is someone who is willing to fund uh, 100000 for Tadius surgery. Then I was like, wow, really? Is this, is this really true? I, I, I was really speechless, you know, at that time. And then I told my husband, I said, this is this is crazy. Who who in the world would just fund one hundred thousand for us for this, you know, somebody that we don't even know and they don't even know us. So yeah, this is a miracle. This is definitely uh, God's intervention, you know. So after a long battle, we we heard, you know, how we see how God has answered us. So Tadius is his child, and uh, also you know, so God will look after and take care of him. So we, we are very thankful for that. For many families of children with congenital heart disease, the costs can rapidly escalate, especially when surgery is needed. That's where the Malaysian Congenital Heart Foundation sometimes steps in. It's an NGO which was set up to help lower-income families with financial assistance and to sponsor surgeries if families needed access to private health care. Dr. Hanis Shahira Hamdan, the foundation's chief operating officer, works closely with these families and here's what she had to say. It's impossible to talk about the challenges with congenital heart defects without mentioning the financial aspect. I think that's certainly the biggest challenge that a lot of um, parents and families face. If your child or yourself will have to go to a heart defect surgery, parents would probably have to prepare around 40 to 50,000 ringgit for the surgery alone, you know, and that's a very, you know, high amount to ask from, from anybody. And it's not just the cost of forty to 50000 for the surgery. It can also rise up very quickly because a lot of children with heart defects, they might need ICU stays. So staying in an ICU overnight is going to cause a, 
a few more thousand ringgit. You know, there's it depends on the complexity of the surgery. So it's very common to have cases where the cost can rise up from, you know, 50,000 up to 100,000 plus. So this is something that, you know, we see a lot happen in Malaysia. Um, and again, you know, it's not just the cost of surgery or hospitalization. It's also just a typical day-to-day commitments, you know, that a person has. You know, what if they have more than one child? You know, they have to sort out the daycare costs for the other child while they're at hospital with their child with a heart defect. Um, there's cost of transport. There's cost of accommodation. You know, for example, there's no um, facilities for surgery, for heart defect surgery in Sabah and Sarawak. So mm. for families in Sabah and Sarawak, they would have to fly to Semenanjung, to the peninsula, to get surgery. So, yeah, so those are kind of the costs that we expect. There, there are subsidies, but oftentimes, sometimes while the government is able to pay probably about two-thirds of the portion, cost of the equipment. So, for example, mm. if they need pacemakers implanted and stuff like that. So that oftentimes has to be borne out of pocket for, for the patient. And, you know, congenital heart disease, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is probably that it's a condition of childhood, right? A lot mm. of people think, you know, once you get your surgery, um, you recover and then you're off and back to normal. But, but really, that's not the reality. You know, it's really a lifelong condition with, you know, long-term complications. So patients will have to continue to follow up throughout childhood, you know, even in adulthood as well. And that's important because childhood treatments can lose their effectiveness. So it's very mm. common for a patient who undergone surgery when they were smaller, in their 20s or 30s, they'll have to go through another surgery. Um, And their heart condition can worsen as well. So, you know, if they didn't get treatment at the start, you know, they can worsen. So, so again, you know, that's just another financial implication. And, you know, there's more follow-up time, you know. So, again, yeah, it's a huge financial burden for for parents. I think it's a life-changing sort of financial expense. In Jennifer's case, her first-hand experience of the healthcare system in Sarawak opened her eyes to the pressing needs of children with congenital heart disease in the state. I really do hope something can be done to help more families in East Malaysia to get better access, not just to hospitals, but also access to uh, specialists. You know, I, I can see that the medical team is doing their best to give their utmost care to everyone, but I just... I just can't wrap my head around when we had to wait for months just for a proper diagnosis because of the lack of specialists. Some babies and children can't afford to wait that long, right? You know, precious time, you know, are wasted. And then um, especially when babies with um, really serious conditions. So I, I'm not very familiar and I don't really understand how this works on the medical side. But I really do hope some professionals will be able to shed some light on this. Uh, because I hope babies and children and their parents don't have to painfully wait in the dark um, just for the diagnosis. So yeah, there's a lack of a specialist over there. So we need to really do something about that. So... Just how many specialists do we have across the whole country? So there is a very severe lack of pediatric heart surgeons. There are only seven for the entirety of the country, including East Malaysia, only seven. And in the last 10 years, they've only recently trained one new pediatric heart surgeon. And so a lot of these surgeons are working past retirement age. So there certainly is a lack of pediatric heart surgeons. And there's also, you know, a lack of pediatric cardiothoracic surgery sort of departments, you know, um, building hospitals is one thing, but you need to make sure that these hospitals also have the services available. Mm. So it's a very niche specialty, probably one of the most niche and most complex. And it takes a long time, you know, to, to train these, um, these surgeons. Yeah. Doing intervention in uh, children has got uh, 
a lot of uh, challenges and concern. Yeah? It includes the risk of giving general anesthesia. You know, that could have potential complications during the surgery itself. Just imagine the heart of a baby is as big as a as a as a palm, and you need to rectify the problem that's in there. And post-operatively, it can be also be very uh, difficult if you're dealing with small babies because you need to have very close monitoring, you know, of the oxygenation level, those sorts of things. So, I mean, that's the reason why most of the time we try to push the surgery to a bigger child. A bigger means when they are at least one year and above. Yeah? So, doing a surgery for a smaller baby can be more complicated, yeah? Dr. Azam also adds that with the right intervention, with early intervention, most children with congenital heart disease go on to lead full, healthy and normal lives. If these interventions are being done early and there's not much uh, residual complications from it, these children are really well. And this happens in a large population of these children. See, if I have a child that has got a ventricle septal defect and it's been closed during the childhood period, yeah, and these children can actually grow well and they should not cause any problem at all. Yeah? But there are also a group of children that you know, may have problems. Yeah? You know, sometimes they, because of their, their interventions are not a complete surgery. It's just a, a palliative care or some transient, I mean, or some you know, intervention that doesn't really correct the whole heart. Yes, they may have problems, you know, because these children may have, you know, uh, they get this easy tiredness, they get fatigue, you know, or they still have the vascular disease which are not fully rectified. And yes, this group of children may have problems as they grow adulthood. Yeah? And, and it is something that uh, we have to really look into. And that's the reason why nowadays we do have this uh, a specialized form of care we call grown-up congenital heart that looks into these kind of problems. Yeah? Like I said to you, because of the, the variety of disease, uh, the type of disease that we have from a, a severe one to a milder one, yeah? the kind of care that we need in this group of children is quite uh, important, yeah? mm-hmm. especially as they grow into adolescent period where they are a bit more aware of the situation and at times, you know, being a teenager, they are being influenced by many others uh, around them. And so most of these children may get a bit of, you know, issues with anxiety, issues with depression, you know, because they are seeing, you know, other children and they are not able to do things that they do, yeah? So this group of children needs a lot of support, yeah? Uh, in uh, as they grow older, and more so also where, where they are concerned when uh, these uh, children that has heart disease decides to be pregnant or when they they, they grow older, yeah? and that is a different ball game altogether. I mean, one thing that we need to uh, understand is that that one thing is important is that it doesn't mean that if you have a congenital heart disease, it means you are not going to have a normal life. That's not true because most of the time when you do have congenital disease and it's not a severe form if you to do a surgery, you do have a normal life expectancy. This is a myth that a lot of people may have gotten. But yes, there is a small group of children that may have a more complex kind of condition where it needs more you know, support. And, and, and it's important for us to be able to give that support because this group of children will need to get a job, to work, to support themselves. You know? And this is important. While congenital heart disease is a chronic non-communicable disease, no one really thinks of it that way. Not like how we think and talk about NCDs like hypertension, obesity or diabetes. But Dr. Hannes stresses that there is a need to recognise the burden that it places on our population, especially when policymakers come up with policies and plans that are aimed at addressing NCDs. Congenital heart disease is a non-communicable disease, mm-hmm. but 
because it's not lifestyle related, it doesn't often fit into kind of the framework, you know, when it comes to talking about non-communicable mm-hmm. diseases. You know, it's a condition of childhood, but it's not really something that, you know, you can prevent by vaccination or, you know, change with improved nutrition. And as the government tackles more of these non-communicable disease cases, and as these cases go down, because congenital heart disease is a lifelong condition, there's going to be more significant proportion of these patients. So it's really important that the government, um, you know, comes on board and, and works with us in order to help these patients. Coming back to Jennifer's story, when she reflected back on those early months of Thaddeus' life and the anxieties she faced then, she's grateful for the support she was offered by those around her. Well, the biggest struggles uh, for anyone is to see someone you love struggling uh, in uh, and in pain and you cannot do anything about it. You know, raising a child with a serious medical condition, you know, like heart condition, needs 24 hours of uh, delicate attention and care. And uh, parents will feel the burden as they have to be by their child's side all the time you know, at the hospital, because at any second, things can change dramatically, you know. Also, you need to keep professional advice as soon as possible whenever there is, uh, you know, changes on his breathing, any slight symptoms like fever and cough. So it, these are all very, uh, how to say, very terrifying, very uh, emotionally draining. And also... Uh, of course, another major one will be financial burden, right? Yeah, we didn't expect the medical fee would be so high. And then, um, yeah, so it will really take a toll on your on your thoughts, your emotion, and when you're going through this. Lah. But there is always a way out. So always try to reach out to your family and friends or even charity organization for whatever help support that you can get. I have connected with other parents and uh, one of the parents has been so helpful. She has been um, encouraging me and uh, she told me that her son also went through the same thing, heart surgery, and now he's already seven seven or eight years old. So, and uh, told me that, yeah, all these things uh, will pass, you know. I'm going to enjoy Tadius after his surgery. What kept me going is definitely uh, my spiritual journey with God and also my friends who are very supportive uh, because I'm a Christian. I have uh, Christian friends around me. They really do pray for me and um, the the care, the concern that and the love that they show me, the prayers that they, you know, they, they really pray for me. And uh, yeah, I really felt like giving up that at that time. But because of um, these sisters and uh, my God, who is a loving God, he really showed that he cares by sending a lot of, I call angels at that time to me to really um, give me the support that I need, the emotional support that I need. Because at that time, um, as a as a new mother, I was battling with anxiety, mm. panic attack, depression, you know, everything just... Yeah, just went out of control in my life. So I'm very thankful for all these um, sisters who call and uh, send gifts and send prayers to me. So it's been almost a year since that is a surgery. How is he doing now? Uh, Tadius is now one year and two months old and he's getting more and more active. 
by the day, catching up with his milestones at his own pace. Uh, of course, we expect some delays. So recently, he's able to sit without support, but he still has yet uh, to learn to crawl. Overall, he's a happy little boy. And then, uh, yeah, he, he likes to he likes to talk. Of course, thankfully, his surgery was a successful one. And uh, he just need to take medication to help his heart work better. Uh, it's a daily, daily dose. So yeah, every morning we will have to feed him with the medication. Yes. And now his uh, heart checkup is uh, at uh, HTA, which is previously known as H HKL. Yeah, we are just uh, thankful that you know, God has arranged the best for him and he hope that we hope that he will thrive in his growth, continue to stay healthy, joyful, and continue to be resilient and strong all the time. I think what we worry more about is uh, on his health. As his lungs were quite damaged uh, before this due to infections and aspirations when he was hospitalized. So, and he, he went through some you know, accountable uh, times of x-rays and all. So, yeah, we we are quite worried that if he falls sick again and if, if he, you know, just feel unwell, we, we, we will be quite worried about that. So any slightest symptoms that he shows, fever and cough, we will quickly bring him to the doctors or hospital because he has some underlying conditions. So he's a bit different. Right now, as the flu and, you know, we have COVID, so we, we try to avoid crowded and confined places. And uh, uh, yeah, just a few weeks ago, he caught virus infection and was having fever and some bad cough. But uh, he was really resilient and uh, he recovered well. So like what you say, our lifestyle, we just have to be uh, more cautious, uh, you know, going around uh, people and uh, we have to juggle. Right now, he's like our top priority. He's the centre of everything. So we just have to juggle everything around him. This has been NCD Chronicles, a series featuring the experiences and challenges of people with non-communicable diseases and their loved ones. You can listen to previous episodes on bfm.my, on the BFM app, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Lim Suen, and this has been Health and Living on BFM. 89.9。You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.